the color film makes the lab look chintzy and cheap. Whereas in black and white, all of those chintzy and cheap decorations look really kind of cool. You can do a so lot of that. So you were thinking you wish the movie was in black and white. So it was kind of like what I was thinking. I was thinking I wish the movie was over. Alright everyone, welcome back to the Royville Movie House. Uh, we have just stepped out of the theater and all of my popcorn's gone, so I guess it is time to review our latest bad movie. Yeah, uh, tonight the movie was a movie from 1971 called Dracula vs. Frankenstein. It was produced by MGM, but it does not appear to, even though using both Frankenstein's monster and Dracula be a part of the traditional cycle of the Universal Monsters or MGM Monsters, however you want to say it. So, Dracula versus Frankenstein, 1971. It was directed by Al Adamson and Samuel M. Sherman, although Samuel M. Sherman seems to be uncredited for his directing. It was written by the appropriately named William Pugsley, and Samuel M. Shimron, both story and screenplay for both of them. It does star a few, and I'm going to read these off because we're going to talk about these characters a little bit, so I'm going to actually give them credit. So, Dr. Frankenstein, or Dr. DeRay, uh, as his actual name is in this movie, is played by J. Carol Nash. Groton is played by Lon Chaney Jr., Count Dracula is played by Xander Gorkoff. Mike is played by Anthony Isley. Judith is played by Regina Carroll. Sergeant Martin is played by Jim Davis. Strange is played by Graydon Clark. Samantha is played by Anne Morrell. I actually do not have the credit written for the monster, so I will add that a little bit later. But we can start off by talking a little bit about the main characters while I'm looking that up real quick. All right, so who do you want to start with? Dr. Frankenstein uh, seems to be a good place to start because he's kind of the... the uh, I don't even know. I don't want to call him glue, but he's kind of the center point of the plot. Okay, we'll start with Colonel Sanders. <laughs> he uh, is... More than Colonel Sanders, he actually reminds me of the doctor from Rocky Horror Picture Show. That's another one I was thinking. I was figuring they were going to start doing the time warp uh, at any moment during the movie. Especially since the guy's in a wheelchair. So, I had, especially when he would be talking to everyone and I couldn't really understand what the heck he was talking about and everybody was kind of standing there. I was getting very, very much the let's do the time warp again vibe from the whole movie. Fair enough. Uh, um, so Dr. Frankenstein is... Confined to a wheelchair because of an accident that happened in his lab, I want to say, by fire. And this movie is set in the 70s. He's actually a descendant 
of Dr. Frankenstein. That's why his last name isn't Frankenstein in the movie. So there's him. He's just creepy and just cross-eyed enough to enforce that creepiness. Because you don't really know exactly who he's talking to. He also has the presence of a stage actor being filmed. So he's not looking hardly ever at the person that he's yeah, actually talking to. Yeah, it always like to. he's talking to the audience. Or an audience. So, yeah. And maybe that's just part of his creep factor. Maybe. I mean, that's, that's very possibly so. Dr. Duray has come up with a serum that is based around the something in the blood, a chemical makeup of the blood, given the emotional state of a, of the donor. Uh, and the prime candidates for this type of blood are young, naked women. Correct. Or the prime donors, not candidates, donors. He's making a super soldier serum... For lack of a better term, because it's not exactly what he's doing, but he is making a serum that will allow for people to heal from grievous wounds. In fact, he uses the serum on one girl who was decapitated and was able to save her from that. And her blood provided a different type of... Chemical makeup for his magic serum, which will do that and a whole bunch of other things. It kind of changes depending on who's talking about it. Yeah, it'll do plot. Um, so th- that's Dr. Frankenstein. That's the main thing. He's out for revenge because the accident that made him wheelchair bound was caused by other doctors in his lab who somehow got a hold of his ancestor's work and wanted to push him out anyway. I, I think. The script is very confusing, so I'm very sorry if there's a lot of vagueness when we're describing it because uh, the script was vague on some stuff. So moving on, we have Groton, who is played by Lon Chaney Jr., who was the monster to Dr. DeRay's Dr. Frankenstein. He wasn't a dead thing that he put together and brought to life, but he was the first recipient of the serum which actually turns this sweet guy who's like... He was Lenny? Yeah, he's like Lenny from Of Mice and Men. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, I think, he has a little dog and I kept... I think it's Lenny is the, the name of the character. It's either Lenny or George. And I think it's Lenny. Because, yeah, I look at the mountains, George. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so, anyway. He's basically Lenny from Of Mice and Men. <clears throat> Or the big abominable snowman in the Bugs Bunny cartoons who wants to love and squeeze and hug him and name him George. He doesn't speak, but he's a gentle giant until he gets the serum and then he becomes an axe-murdering monster. So that's the monster to Dr. DeRay's Dr. Frankenstein. So he's created this um, alter ego for this sweet, autistic, nonverbal guy. Then there's Count Dracula. The raccoon man. Who does wear incredibly heavy eye makeup and has a 70s perm. And I love that the eye makeup is different depending on what time or what part of the movie. 
Sometimes he's full squirrel or full raccoon. Sometimes he's just a little bit like he's a football player with a little black under his eyes. Sometimes he has the full superhero mask. It's 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 amazing how bad it is. Yeah, and his face gets whiter too. Actually, depending on what I think, because the actor is realizing how bad this movie is going to (laughs) be. I don't think that's makeup. Dracula is stereotypical Dracula. Yeah, I don't know what else to say aside from the fact that his ring. Gets its own credit. That's true. His ring gets its own credit. His costume, um, not wardrobe, because because really this is a Dracula costume that you get at the Halloween store. It was pretty much that style, that bad. It almost looked like it was made from what we call in the fabric business costume satin which is the kind of satin that if you took an iron to it it would melt to your iron it's like completely made of plastic it's not really even woven it's pretty awful and i could almost see the creases from when they took it out of the package and it had been sitting in the package folded so it was pretty bad um and it was a pretty stereotypical dracula costume too he's running around southern california venice California, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, Everybody's in shorts and t-shirts. He's in this full outfit with cape. With cape. Full full formal attire, just like you picture. If I say Count Dracula, the picture that comes up in your head is what this guy was wearing. It was not very imaginative. Well, if Count Dracula was a 12-year-old that got his costume at the corner store. Okay, fair enough. Okay. I'm just, it was pretty stereotypical and not very imaginative. I just, I can't say that enough. And the other big thing about Count Dracula is his amazing auto-tune voice through the whole movie. I kept thinking his ring got its own credit and the echo to his voice did not, which was kind of unfair. Yeah, I mean, definitely, <laughs> it, it appeared as if they the whole movie, when he talked, was out of sync. Or, at the very least, somebody was carrying around a speaker right behind him so that it could... It, it did not fit the movie at all. It was bad. But then again, maybe the actor didn't have that great of a voice for the part. That could be as well. That could be. But it just gave the... It gave me the impression that Dracula was like astral projecting. It didn't give me the idea that he was actually in the scenes. I know that... I I did ask Steve at one point, is he even there? Because it was the first scene he was in, and he could have very easily astral projected in or something. But um, he was actually there. He's just echoey. Yeah, I really didn't use any powers, but maybe some kind of mesmerism in his ring. That was pretty much about it. Well, no, he popped into the car of the doctor, just appeared. I thought he just, like, quickly got into the car. Oh, that could have been, too. (laughs) There was enough time for that. Like, all creeper style. (laughs) All right, so those are the three main monsters that have lines. Then, I actually looked this up. The monster, the original Frankenstein monster, is a part of this film. 
he is played by a man named John Bloom. Uh, and just like any of the stereotypical Universal MGM studio monsters, he walks like he has no joints in his knees and with his arms straight out in front of him and grunts a whole lot and then hugs people to death. And wears a paper mache head. Yes, his face is really melty. Really bad, like garbage pail kids bad. Like melty, yeah. Yeah. It, like his mask melted in the sun, melty. It, it, and they didn't have enough money to make a new one, so they're just like, what the heck, put it on. So those are the four monsters. The three main monsters who actually get character development stuff are Dr. DeRay slash Dr. Frankenstein, Groton, and Count Dracula. Uh, the monster really doesn't have character development because what I just said about the monster is the monster. Like, in every movie that he's in. So, they didn't ruin him. They just made his face melty. So, now moving on to the human side of the plot. We have Mike, who is a guy who rescued a woman in distress. Which Mike? Was he the tiger teeth? Or yeah. The shark teeth guy? Okay. He's... I don't know what he does for a living, but he ends up hanging out Jiggle with... Well. He ends up hanging out with kids. <coughs> That's about all I know about him. And he and the character Judith um, get together. He's the rescuer of the damsel in distress, that character. Um, then there's Judith, who is a Vegas, Vegas lounge lip sinker. Yeah, definitely didn't seem like she was the one singing. Although the guys behind her were really enthusiastic about the whole thing, she was not. And was out of sync quite a bit. Um, in the one in the one scene where she was singing, I'm just that's what she did. Uh she is this uh Judith is the sister of the first victim of Groton slash Doctor Frankenstein that we know of. I guess there's one more before her, but they don't talk about her. They just show her. So that's Judith. She comes to Venice to hunt down her sister who's been missing. After getting a telegram from Sergeant Martin. To hunt for, not hunt down. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> She's looking for her sister. She doesn't want to kill her sister. <laughs> Fair enough. Sergeant Martin, on the other hand, may be hunting down her sister. I don't know. He was a bad cop. And all you need to know about him is every police dragnet style ripoff cliche that's this guy. And he was bad at what he did. Because Joe Friday was not bad at what he did. Well, true, but cliche. Oh, fair enough. Um, so then that leaves Strange and Samantha, who are the young couple that... They remind me of, uh, Donnie and Marie Osmond, basically. Yeah, the looks to them are about the right. Except for they're not siblings. They're really, really, really not siblings. I really hope. Oh, yeah. They, were, they're <laughs> they just together, look like them, yeah. yeah. They just look like them. Uh, so that's pretty much all you need to know about them. So there's the characters in a nutshell, which probably took a little longer than normal, but that's because there's a few more characters uh, than normal to kind of cover before we hit the plot. And you have to understand that there are a lot of characters. This movie is about an hour and a half, an hour and 20 minutes long, 
And there are a lot of characters, in my opinion, half of them have no reason to be there. Yeah, I weeded out quite a few. And in fact, I didn't give credit to one that I maybe should have, but whatever. I'm just going to skip it. Uh, So, plot. I'm going to read the one-sentence synopsis from IMDb, and then we're going to go from there. It is... Dracula conspires with a mad doctor to resurrect the Frankenstein monster. That's the one-sentence synopsis on IMDb. So, Steve, does that even come close to encapsulating all that we just watched? No, because the movie's all over the place. Yes. It covers so many stories, and I think that about a half an hour in, literally every scene that we watched introduced a character. Every time the camera wiped to a new scene, there was another character. And then we went a little while, and then another character was introduced in the biker guy. And the movie is called Frankenstein vs. Dracula. And literally, I asked Ellen, about an hour and 20 minutes into the movie, do they know what their movie is called? Because none of that was happening So, spoiler alert, it does happen after 120 or 110 minutes into, well, sorry, an hour and 10 minutes into the movie. Remember I said the movie's only about an hour and 20 minutes long. 91 minutes to be exact. There you go. So, this is an MGM monster movie. So, I was kind of expecting a schlocky movie, which I got. That was a lot of fun, which I really, disappointingly, really didn't get a whole lot of fun. It was, it was schlocky, but it wasn't schlocky in a... When you say schlocky... I mean, like, Bella Lugosi, I want to suck your blood. Uh, like, okay. Just fun. Not scary. Fun. And this wasn't scary. This wasn't fun. This was... Yeah. Something else. It was really confusing. Uh, So, let's just start digging into the plot a little. We may not be able to get to all of the side stuff, but let's at least talk about it a little bit. So, we start off with a scene where Dracula finds the grave of Frankenstein's monster. The monster. In California... About 10 minutes away from Venice. Implying that the events of Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein and etc. etc. happened in California. Or they shipped him over. To bury him. Yeah, for some dumb reason. It's it's ridiculous, of course. It was a very strange thing. Then the Night Watchman walks up on him and of course... Vampire thing happens, he drains him and moving on. So the next scene we have is Judith singing in Las Vegas to a very bored looking audience because she wasn't excited about it, so why should they be? Mm. Uh, After the performance was over, 
she went to her dressing room and got a telegram from Sergeant Martin saying that her sister's still missing. So Judith packs her bags, goes to Venice, decides that she's going to meet with Sergeant Martin, who basically tells her to go home. Go home in like these homey sort of idioms that like as many, not homey, as many police officer thoughts and sayings as you can cram into a conversation he yeah, crammed into Yeah, somebody watched Dragnet or Car 54, Where Are You, wrote down all of the cop talk and then just gave that to this guy to say. Yeah, pretty much. He told Judith to go home. She's just going to get in the way and blah, blah, blah. And her sister may not want to be found, I think, was the, the main key to this conversation. Judith, knowing her sister because they were orphaned for quite some time. So, meaning they're not orphaned anymore. That she knows full well that Joni did not disappear on her own and would never disappear without a word. So, she goes to a club... With a picture of her, of Joni is her sister's name, to find her. Goes into the club, shows the picture to the waiter, I guess. I don't know. The club looked like it was a punk club from the 80s, only done by people who've never been to Actually, a punk club Actually, it looked of the like 80s. all of those mid early 90s rave parties in somebody's basement. But it had all of the stuff of the warehouse with the graffiti and the, the wooden walls and exactly and stuff. Okay. After some, after all the kids uh, spray painted the basement to look like a bar of some sort. And then things, they decide to drug her. Because they think that she's a cop. Is what the whole idea was. Okay. Okay. So this whole thing happens. She's roofied, but dancing around and I don't know. It was a weird scene. Somehow she was roofied. Probably trying to make you think what she's thinking because she's drugged. I'm not sure. Then Donnie and Marie Osmond come and pick her up. Yeah, Strange is Samantha Wonderin and the waiter says, we have your drugged woman you ordered. Go ahead and take her out. And, <laughs> That's pretty much exactly what it looked like. And they get drugged woman carry out. <laughs> so Judith wakes up in a strange place with a strange man looking at her and seems somehow... With a shark necklace on. And seems somehow kind of okay with the whole thing. Because the, the first thing... Yeah, she, barely an inconvenience. <laughs> I know. Because <laughs> the first thing she says is not, who the hell are you and where the hell am I? It was... I don't even remember what she said, but it wasn't either one of those things. Right. The second thing she did was... The second thing she said was, who are you? And that's when Mike introduces himself with his shark tooth necklace. They talk. Uh, Mike says that he knew Joni... And that she was going to the carnival, which was just down the way, and going to the House of Freaks there. Which happens to be the project of Dr. DeRay. So she's been going there because she's convinced that somehow she's a freak or wants to be a freak. I, 
wasn't quite sure on that part of it. Just so you know, I'm not quite sure about pretty much most of the dialogue in this movie. Well, so I am definitely relying on my partner here <laughs> to explain to me what the heck was going on. So, you know... Um, that so, could have been because I tuned out. I don't. I have no idea. It could have been. So they chat for a little bit about Joni and go out onto the balcony and he points out Strange and Samantha, who are the two kids who saved her, and they're together and Strange is named Strange because that's what he is. And Even though he acts totally normal the whole movie. He's probably the most normal person in the movie. Maybe that's why he's strange. Kind of. So, this no-name character comes running down the beach yelling about how a couple went missing last night and the guy of the couple is being washed washed on shore in pieces just a little ways down from Mike's place. So, basically, that's our Lon Chaney. And the girl's still missing. And Mike says, oh, okay. And then goes for a walk on the beach. He says, thank you for that exposition, odd stranger. And then they go walk. It was, yeah, it was, I didn't know how to react to that. He seemed to take everything very well. Because I'll tell you what, if pieces of a man's body was being washed ashore just a mile away from where I lived, I'd freak out a little bit. Yeah, there's nobody he knew. Okay, fair enough. So, um, in the process of all of this, Strange and Samantha actually end up at the... I don't even remember what the, what the exhibit was called, and I probably should have written this down in my notes, but I did not. But Dr. DeRay's exhibit, they go there, and Dr. DeRay does a big show for him. Scoping them out, basically, to see if maybe they might be okay victims. Uh, when they leave the House of Freaks, Strange turns to... And I'm sorry, I wrote this down because I thought it was funny. Strange turns to Samantha and says... or Samantha turns to Strange and says, let's go get ready for the protest. Strange said... Oh, no, I have that backwards, too. Sorry. Strange says, let's go get ready to go to the protest. Samantha says, what are we protesting tonight? He says, I don't know, but I bet it's going to be fun. So it looked like basically they had some stock footage of a protest, so they used that to pad out the movie. But I bet it's going to be fun. Anyway, the next scene is exposition between Count Dracula and Dr. Frankenstein, where the whole thing about Dr. DeRay being injured by his colleagues is there, and, Dr. and Dracula tells him about finding the original monster, and that Dracula knows about his serum, and evidently the serum would be helpful to Count Dracula because it'll make him invincible or something. So it's, it's like a 10-minute scene of exposition. Of stuff we've already talked about, so we're not going to go back and review necessarily. But it is a 10-minute scene of the Echo. So that was the scene where I referred to not really knowing whether he was there or not. Because it could have been him not even there. So they have a whole bunch of stock footage at this point of the Doctor's lab. Where he is concocting these weird experiments and making these serums and whatever. Putting young, naked, nubile women into glass Coffins, boxes. Yeah. Coffins, basically. However, 
Don't worry, the coffins are very tasteful. Oh, yeah, they they have sensor bars tastefully placed. Because <laughs> <Yes, yes. laughs> that's what it looks like they are. No, no, that's exactly what it is. You think it, that, that's definitely what it is. Um, anyway, sorry. Um, <clears throat> and all I kept thinking while I was watching this stock footage and watching Dr. DeRay in his lab is I really wish this movie was in black and white. The lab in color does not have the um, gravitas. I, I don't know what else to say. The color the color film makes the lab look chintzy and cheap. Whereas in black and white, all of those chintzy and cheap decorations look really kind of cool. You can do so a lot of that. So you were thinking you wish the movie was in black and white. So it was kind of like what I was thinking. I was thinking I wish the movie was over. So, <laughs> so we were kind of on the same page there. So anyway, stuff happens. Uh, Count Dracula and Dr. DeRay resurrect the monster. And Count Dracula finds Dr. Beaumont, who was the main competitor that caused the accident to Dr. DeRay. And he and the monster ambush this man, and the monster hugs him to death. I know you think I'm joking, but I actually cracked a joke about it right before it happened, because the monster was coming at him with slowly, very, very slowly, with his arms outstretched. And I cracked a joke to Steve, saying, what's he going to do, hug him to death? And then that's exactly what happened he wrapped his arms around this man and squeezed until he dropped him and he was dead about right right yeah cool yeah all right so his main competitor being out of the way dr frankenstein gets a little cocky about things mike figures out what's going on because he and judith are making out on the beach and he hears a chain of the ch- of the trap door rather than the screaming of poor Samantha as her former boyfriend and his gang try to rape her. Yeah, didn't hear the rape scene, um, but heard the little rattling of the chain, so had to go investigate. So they figure out that Dr. Dore's lab is pretty much right above them underneath the dock. So they go to the carnival and rush in past the ticker, ticket taker, who is another superlative character, like superlative, that, that means best, Superfi- uh, superfluous, extra character. We need to stop, actually, for a second. I know this is a review of Frankenstein vs. Dracula. I, I understand that. But we've watched three movies now, roughly around the 70s time frame, Correct. Midnight yeah. Cowboy, a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, the cheerleading movie, can't remember the name of it. Swinging Cheerleaders. And um, this, one. this one. And all of them are kind of rapey. A little bit. Okay. It's just, I, just, it just dawned on me that the well, 70s like their rape scenes. And it's not just that a rape scene happened. It's that up until that point... It was, the monster was a little rapey. The little midget guy was a little rapey. The Count Dracula always, vampires in general, are a little rapey. Uh, 
unless they're real violent vampires like the 30 days of night vampires it's yeah this may be one to watch 30 days of night again <laughs> so um so where were oh they were rushing past the little ticket guy who was a little person who evidently was friends with Dr. Duray. I, this is where things get like really convoluted because I'm not quite sure I'm understanding what's happening. So we're going to skip what point he has in the plot, but basically he collects tickets. Yeah, he's the ticket taker, loves $1 bills, uh, makes him cackle maniacally. Um, But basically they didn't know exactly where the chain thing was going on. So they kind of Monty hauled it past um, the little person into the House of Horrors. Find a little hallway where the doctor always appears from to do his stage lectures and go back there. Uh, They go back, find his lab. Groton tries to... Does Groton appear? Yeah, Groton appears, but he's not under the influence of the serum, so he's not a crazy monster yet. But he becomes a crazy monster because the trap door opens and the little person falls on his axe. And... And his puppy runs away for a second. Yeah. So he gets really mad and the remnants of the serum take over and he becomes a mindless monster again and chases down Judith. And Dr. Frankenstein tries to kill Mike, Mike with a gun. And he shoots five times. This is very key. And then runs after him without checking. Well, rolls after him. Well, pursues him, yes. <laughs> rolls after him. And realizes after he shoots that last bullet in his six-shooter that he has no more bullets. And then somehow falls into the prop guillotine for his House of Freaks and gets decapitated in the guillotine that is a prop. Correct. All right. So we're at Groton pursuing Judith. Dr. Duray is dead. Dr. Frankenstein actually, conveniently, has not been in the movie for the past half an hour. Period. Nowhere. Just Dr. Duray and Groton and the monster. Dr. Frankenstein. I said Count Dracula. Oh, you said Dr. Frankenstein. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. All right. I met Count Dracula. (laughs) I'm sorry. Anyway, so Count Dracula is nowhere to be seen. Uh, There's a whole thing where somehow Sergeant Mike gets, uh, not Mike, Sergeant Murray gets word that there's something going on down at the carnival and he walks in to see Groton in his crazed state chasing after Judith and shoots Groton and shoots him dead. So now we're at body count of two, Dr. DeRay and Groton. Well, technically he shoots an unarmed man on top of a building never having seen him before and not knowing anything about what's going on, but shoots him dead. Did we mention that he's a really bad police officer? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But anyway, just for the record... Good shot, bad police officer. Right. Which is usually the opposite. Hmm? Anyway. Really? 
Really? You went there? In movies, yeah, it's usually good Okay, combat. okay, I'll give you that. I'll give you that, okay. <laughs> Sorry, in movies, typically it's a good police officer with bad aim. Just for dramatic purposes. Right. Anyway. So Judith runs away. Or Judith runs downstairs off the roof. And so for the record, we have two villains dead out of five villains. Two dead out of five. Then Dracula finds Judith as he she's coming down and mesmerizes her. And makes her walk to a corner where he loosely drapes some rope over her. And she stands there like she's... uh, And starts fighting against her ropes like she's actually tied to anything. It was really poorly done. And really poorly choreographed. But literally she could have slid those ropes off of her arms like they were sleeves on a loose fitting hoodie. Not kidding. Anyway, she's tied there. Mesmerism evidently wears off and she starts screaming and freaking out. He explains to her that all he has to do is drink her blood because then he'll be immortal because of the chemical makeup of her blood. And that's why he's interested in the serum because that's what Dr. DeRay was doing. So basically he never needed Dr. DeRay. Period. Like that's the end of that sentence. He just never needed him. I think. Because, like I said, this is kind of where the script really needs to make up its mind what it's doing. Uh, Because they're trying to tie all of the separate stories up, and it's not working very well. The script really should learn to focus. There's too many side stories. It's like talking to Ellen. That's what I have in my notes. Literally, word for word. (laughs) So... Mesmerism broken. Mike tries to get Judith away and Dracula uses his ring on him, which if you didn't know, uh, because we didn't mention it, Dracula's ring is a freeze frame of Dracula who gets frozen in time while he uses it and cartoon flames shoot out of it and it catches whatever it's pointed at on fire, which in this case was Mike. So body count of three. Two villains, one hero, kaput dead. Yeah, Mike died. Judith passes out because she's a frail female protagonist. Oh, and passes out. The monster carries her to a church, I guess, and ties her up again. Yeah, a little church. Ties her up again. And that's where the monster figures out that Dracula is going to kill this pretty girl. And the monster kind of likes the pretty girl. So here's where you get Frankenstein versus Dracula. They go outside and they push each other a little bit. Kind of slap each other around. Very kind of high school uh, in the hallways fight. Where they're a little upset with each other. And they're pushing in. And they're pushing. And then Dracula figures out that Frankenstein's monster is a bunch of different body parts. So he black knights him. Yeah, he pulls both arms off and then his head. Yeah. And the monster does try to bleed on him. So, you know, credit where credit's due. 
Way to go, Monty Python. Yeah, the, the definitely <laughs> the movie would have been um, great for me. It would have been a heck of a lot better if the monster would have just said something like, it is but a flesh wound. Come back um, here and I'll bite your bleeding kneecaps off. Exactly. But yeah, so he basically um, tears off a limb, tears off another limb, tears off his head, and the sun slow rolls Count Dracula, um, and eventually... After repeated uh, scenes a la Pee Wee Herman in Buffy the Vampire Yes, Slayer I have movie. that written right here. Yeah, Dracula yeah. just won't die already is all I gotta say. <laughs> yes, yes, it took... Forever, like the guy couldn't get in. He was literally like ten feet away from the church, and it, yeah, it was bad. It was so bad, and he died in ten minutes' time outside the door of the church. And really, did he die, or did his makeup just start to get worse and worse? It, both, I hope. Well, I mean, I don't wish ill on the actor, but seriously, Count, that Count Dracula character needed to go. Like, he needed to go. Well, yeah. He sounded like t But in Count Dracula's defense, everybody in this movie needed to go. <laughs> Fair enough. He sounded like T-Pain in a song all the time. T-Pain doesn't talk like that. He just uses it for his stuff right it was like he was recording the entire movie so anyway he does note i have no idea who t-pain is <laughs> just so you know don't need to explain it if you know please post it in the comments other than that let's move on okay <laughs> there's not much more so we flash back to judith inside the church tied up in a very seductive manner because he crisscrosses the rope across her breast and her Hands are tied behind her head. She realizes she can just easily get out, gets out, and leaves. Takes Dracula's ring first, and then drops it, and then leaves. Mm, yes. And then credits roll. And that is the movie, The Mad House of Colonel Sanders. <laughs> so, I don't think I need to ask this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. It sucked. <laughs> And uh, does it deserve to be on our list? You know, every time you ask me this of these bad movies, and once again, I just have to say, three times, well, no, actually, no, Battlefield Earth deserved to be one of the worst <laughs> movies of all time. This movie is just forgettable. I honestly, at this, I, I disagree with you. I think that this movie totally deserves to be on this list. It was not schlocky fun like I wanted it to be, but it was poorly written. The soundscape was bad. The script was bad. The acting was bad. The movie looked bad. I'm surprised I saw no boom mics. It was bad. But it wasn't bad in a fun manner. I am actually very surprised MGM made this movie. It's 
Maybe somebody owed somebody. That could be. Um, Al, Al Adamson is a director of some notoriety within the horror schlock world. He's not real good, but he's very well known. Not, from what I'm seeing, not in the same way as like Ed Wood, but he's really bad at making movies, but he's made a lot of them. Huh, okay, alright. So... I guess don't get me wrong. This was a very bad movie, but... I don't understand why this movie, as opposed to so many other movies, is in the top 50 of all time. It was Like, why is it even still noted? Yes. I see. I see what you're saying. There are lots of... Now, maybe because it is an MGM release, so... It should have some more gravitas, but since it was a kind of major movie house release and was so bad, maybe that's why. Maybe. So, I have one more question to ask you. Okay. And I've never asked you this. Hmm, alright. So this is brand new. How much does Steve hate Ellen on a scale of 1 to 10? Oh, no, no. (laughs) This is, I mean, this is no Battlefield Earth. Um, I'll definitely give it that. I was. Now, maybe it was because I was a little tired in the theater and it was dark. But I really just wanted this movie to be over. The exposition was just... People would talk for 10 minutes straight in an hour and a half movie, and I was tuning out. An hour and a half movie that was supposed to be a horror movie. Yeah, I mean, and and the horror, obviously, if this was supposed to be a horror movie... It was bad. It was, it was not a horror movie. It was a exploitation Film, horror film, maybe? There wasn't even a good jump scare. No, no, not at all. And I mean, obviously, as you remember us talking about the two main monsters, they were laughable. Um, they did kind of have the the boob factor of slasher flicks, young, new bio women, but horror... No, um, I can see where they might have been trying to do that. I can see where in a better movie with better, no offense to the actors, I don't know how they were directed, but better actors, better directing, a little bit more money, a few tweaks on the script. I can see Mm -hmm. where they might have been going with it. But this just seemed to me like a bunch of... And this is an MGM movie, people. They just seemed to... Now, granted, it was sublet with a smaller production house. Um, Independent film... I can't remember the name of it. It was I.I. It was independent something. Right. So, I mean, but... It just seemed to me like somebody had a passion project. They had a bunch of friends. They got together. They made a movie. And for some reason, MGM released it. Um, but top 50 worst of all time. Mm. Meh. 
Do I hate Ellen? No. It was, um... Yeah, it was like a boring day in the life of monsters. I don't know. It was... Even the sound, even the scoring didn't indicate that it was a horror movie. Like, there was no rising tension in the score. I mean, they didn't do anything aside from have I, monsters. I didn't even notice there was a score. That's that's how bad that was. So, yeah, they missed their mark. It was supposed to be horror, and they missed their mark terribly. So, that's so, all I have to say. All that being said, that was uh, our review of the Madhouse of Colonel Sanders. Um, what do we have next uh, in our movie house escapades? Well, coming soon to the Royville movie house, we have Vertigo, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, number nine on AFI's list, produced in 1958. I must say I'm pretty excited about this one. I love Jimmy Stewart and have seen many movies of his, but ironically... I have not seen any movie of his that he did with Alfred Hitchcock. Wow. I think there's three of them that are on this list. I know. This is really <laughs> weird. So I'm actually pretty excited about Vertigo. So that's very cool. Um, and then also coming soon, we have Teenage Zombies, 1959. Uh, 59. Is that pre-rapey or... We'll just have to find out. We'll just have out. to find out. Mm -hmm. So that's what we have coming up next. All right. So if you like this review, please comment, subscribe for more reviews. One comes out once a week. If you didn't like this review, make a comment and uh, tell us why. But be nice. So I see that the lamps of Royville are being lit, so it's about time for us to head out of the theater. Any last words, Ellen? No, I've got nothing. All right. Good night, everyone. Night.